0: Everybody, it's John. Welcome back. I am really, really excited for this week's guest. His name is David Frank, and he was one half of the incredible, incredible R&B duo, The System. He and his partner Mick Murphy put out a bunch of trend-setting, really envelope-pushing singles throughout the entire '80s. Really, most of those songs appeared on the dance charts. In fact, you may remember them from a, a cameo, a small. Um, performance in that seminal classic breakdancing movie, Beat Street. They were in that for a minute. That sort of underground dance club success really culminated in 1987 when this song you're listening to, Don't Disturb This Groove, hit number four on the charts. It is one of my all-time favorite songs. But after this, they put out one more album, which was... It was okay, we talk about it in here, they sort of lost their way a little bit. It wasn't as successful, and they basically went on hiatus. But the really interesting thing is that David Frank went on then, as he had been all along, really, to produce and write for a number of really huge acts, especially in that sort of teen pop genre. He may not like me saying that, but that's basically what it is when you write huge hits for 98 Degrees and, of all things, Genie in a Bottle for Christina Aguilera which obviously changed his fortunes forever. I happen to believe that he's one of the most incredible minds, creative musical minds ever, especially of the 80s. Everything he did, when you get to know what the system, what their music is all about, you can connect the dots between what they're doing and what incredible bands were doing shortly after them based on their influence. It's really amazing stuff. And I gotta put in a quick plug. I had been trying to get a hold of him, him or Mick, for that matter, for months without any success. Thankfully, Martin Brammer, who was on the show a few weeks ago, one email, bridged an introduction, and the interview happened, and I am so grateful. Thank you, Martin, if you're listening. It was a big moment for me because I love David Frank's music. One other thing, we talk in here, in fact, we kick it off with how Madonna was almost the lead singer of the system. He called me from his home in LA.
1: I, you know, I gotta say, I think "Don't Disturb This Groove" might be my favorite R and B song of the '80s. And uh am saying you. a lot. Yes, I, I know. There's and you know, and I'm thinking about the styles that were bigger in the early '80s compared to the later '80s. That's the one that I think I would go back to over and over again. I think it's, a, I, th- I think it's a miracle. I love it. Um, and, and your origin right. story of how the system started—that's out there. People can find that if they want. But the thing I want to start right. with is. Really truly how likely was it that Madonna was almost the lead singer of the system?
2: Okay it was it was probably more likely that I was going to be uh uh Patrick Leonard if, if her oh, really? you know, Okay,
1: for sure, not yeah. Well,
2: do Okay, even even though even though the session that we were going to do was mine and it was my track and all that, you know, it, chances are if it if it had happened a different way it might have happened that way because I had been playing in Madonna's bands actually for, for uh you know like probably about six months before that and still about six months before that for probably about somewhere in the neighborhood of a year. Um she had a she wasn't famous yet, you know, but she yeah. was
1: Are you the Breakfast Club?
2: It wasn't even the Breakfast Club. It was um it was actually called Madonna and it was by that if you've read any stuff about her it was See a cecilia barboni i think was her name and adam or it was her manager and she had and she was in the music building in new york and that's where i had you know okay. the system we had a of, i had a lot there that i actually inherited from another guy who i was working for actually as a keyboard player and then i inherited it and she she was upstairs okay. uh you know madonna you know, they had a rehearsal studio upstairs and madonna was their Project basically, that okay. they were gonna, promote, um, you know, get her a deal and stuff. So, yeah. so um, I probably I don't know. She it would have been a song. There was a song called Crimes of Passion. There's a song on our first album called Times of Passion, or it's Passion. It ended up just called It's Passion. Right. And, um, it was it was called Crimes of Passion. It had a completely different melody. And um, and then we, and it was my title, I think. And then she wrote whatever words she wrote. You know, they were her words, but it was my title. Or so, so we anyway, we changed. You know, we Mick said I don't like Crimes of Passion. So what happened? Basically, she told me that she couldn't do it unless um, the guy that she had come from Detroit with was going to come. Was going to. Co produce it with me, even though I had already done the entire track for it's basically the same music track um, with a couple additional parts, actually a couple major okay. additional parts, but, but not sections, just another it's overdub parts that Mike and I did when we were in the studio that night. But so she called me the night before I had studio time and said I'm not going to do it. So and and so I called up Mike Murphy and he came down and rewrote like a whole another melody and words, and when then we went. In the studio, and at that time, I remember it was kind of a big deal to get studio time. You know, it sure. wasn't because it was, it was, you know, twenty-four track tape and all that. Yeah. So,
1: so uh, we went in
2: the studio, we recorded it, and we got a recording deal the next day. And Madonna was like banging her fist on the floor. I remember I played it for, her, and she went, "Oh man, this sounds so good!" Because I basically I said, "No, I don't want to do it," because I knew that Steve. I know Steve Rays, is still a friend of mine, actually. The guy, oh she really? wanted to. Have, yeah, and he's yeah. The, he was a drummer of the Donna's band. Oh,
1: I know, a, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know.
2: And so, and he also co-wrote like a lot of her big hits. So you know, it's, he had a great time. Sure. But anyway, so I didn't want to do that because I wanted to just not have real drums or anything like that, yeah. and I just wanted to be a synthesizer-driven and mm-hmm. drum machine-driven track. Which, because at that time, by the way, there were no sequencers. It was the there was a thing called the Oberheim system, which was a OB8, which was a keyboard instrument, a DSX, which is the sequencer, and a DMX, which was the drum machine. And I I know I got the first DSX in New York, and um, I bought it and I learned how to use it. You know, so so it was all very the beginnings of all that stuff, obviously.
1: Yeah. Wow. Now, if you and Mike, I, I'm gonna keep saying Mick, just because that's what I've been saying for 30 it doesn't years. Doesn't matter. Call Nick.
2: Call him Nick. Call okay. Nick. It's fine.
1: So, if you uh, had you and Mick, I mean, were you friendly? Had you done? You were both working in a Clear. Is that a disco band or something? I've never heard of Clear. That's how you two know each other.
3: Oh, baby,
4: yeah. <laughs>
1: K-L-E-E-E-R. be Right. I've looked them up now yeah. since researching yeah, I've never heard of them before. Yeah,
2: they were on, they were on Atlantic Records. Um, basically, I can't remember exactly how that happened, um, but Mike was, Nick was the road manager um, oh. for Clear, and he was very good at singer. that. He was not he a singer a singer? In the singer. Oh, wow. No, no. He was in his own band. He was a singer in his own band, but oh, he was the road gotcha. manager Gotcha. Redman and for clear. Also, and he was actually he was actually a very industrious guy at that time. The way I met him well, um, was interesting because I one of the only phone numbers that I got from someone when I was when I first moved to New York was Kashif. You've heard of Kashif, uh-huh. and sure, yeah, and I called him and left a message on his phone machine saying, you know, if you ever need a sub for a recording session. If people uh-huh. did a lot of recording sessions at that time, please call me. You know, I'm really well qualified. I'd like to give you a cassette tape of my work and blah blah blah. And lo and behold, he actually called me back, no Kashif. Way. You know, I never expected him to. So, but he called right. me back, and he's a really nice guy, Kashif. And he uh-huh. and he just um, and then, believe it or not, like uh, maybe a month later, he called me up and he said, "I have a recording session uh, at at you know at." at a, a big studio at the time, I can't remember which one it was, and um, it was for a major artist, and I don't want to do it, and I, I'm, I'm not feeling well or something, I can't remember what it was.
4: Uh-huh. So I went
2: and my to him, and that's when I met Mike Murphy. That's the first time I ever wow. sort of laid eyes on him. I don't even know if wow. I talked to him. It was, oh,
1: wow. it was for
2: the Ritchie family, um, which was a group that Fred Petrus and... There was a company called Little Macho Music that actually had Change, Change, and uh, the BB and Q Band. You know, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, BB and Q yeah. Band. Yeah, yeah, and and they were so so. I played on that record, and I was terrified. I remember I was I didn't think I did a good job, but I think they used it anyway. And um, that's where I first met Mike, and then he called me up because he knew I had a drum machine. And he called me somehow and asked me to come to a session with him on something else just for free, just, you know, to you know. And I did. And while we were doing that, the guys we were working with were these Italian guys, and they were screaming at each other about some disagreement that they had about the music. And then Mike started to sort of sing nervously.
3: He was uh-huh. like singing,
2: and I thought, "Wow, I love that guy's voice. I love that guy's voice." So when uh-huh. when Medina called me and said, "I can't do this," I thought, "Wow, you know, there's that guy.
1: Yeah, I have his yeah. number."
2: And I called him up, and and uh, he said he could. He took the day off. He, he like you know took the day off somehow. The next day called him sick or something, right. and we and and we rewrote the song that night. He wrote a new melody for it, a new words. We went in the studio. We're still working on it, um, and recorded it.
1: Wow. And uh That's
2: I had all the parts all done. You know, I've been working yeah. on it for a long time crack for a long time. And I had them all done. We, we recorded it, did overdubs, missed it. The next day, uh he took it to Atlantic Records and we got a record deal, literally the next day. No, I need to think of a name for the band, you know. It was like
1: Sure. Yeah, it's happening. Could you imagine how different your life would be if Madonna had, if that had worked out? I mean, first of all, at best, you would have ended up like Jellybean Benitez. And, like, I, she, you would have never been an equal partner in her fame, I don't think, just based on my perception of who she is and how powerful she is. And you probably would have been left behind at some point in her you know, as she was off to a different genre or a different thing that she wanted to tackle. I mean, I guess it would have the highs would have been higher, but I think they would have dropped off really quickly, no?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing is that, you know, she did say to me when she called me that night, she said, you know, Frankie, she used to call me Frankie, If um, Steve is really afraid that we'll get a record deal together and then, you know, and he'll be left out and I came with him from Detroit. So that was her explanation. So I, I... Was actually, I guess that in you know at the time I was just being kind of like, in some sense of the word, dogmatically faithful to my vision of what I wanted my music to be, and it was a little bit arbitrary because I had even said to the guy at the studio that we were that we were going to work at. I had when he offered me the studio time. It was just it was a trade. I played on a couple projects that he was doing, and he said, "I'll give you a whole day of studio time." And I said to him at the time, "It was a studio out in Long Island." I said, "You know, okay, I'll take a day of studio time. I, I think I'll make some some uh, sample uh, commercials, like you know, advertising commercials yeah. to um to try to get work like working on commercials." And he said to me, "David," he said you're really great doing, you know, you're really great. Why don't you try to do a 12-inch, a, a, a song, you know, a whole song? Why don't you use it for that? And I went, yeah, know, yeah, Lou, it was Lou Balinese, I said, all right, Lou, okay. All right, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that. And that's the reason why I did it. So you see how sometimes, like, these kind of decisions, and that, it wasn't until then that I really got, Goodness. you know, the vision where I kind of went, Right, I want. I know what I want this music to be, and then Madonna was going to be the singer on it, and she, you know, having her not be on it did end up to be the start of my career, and also maybe I would have ruined her career. Who knows? Maybe, maybe if we had done it, somehow or other, her career wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and you know, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Of course, but in the meantime, it all worked out. It all worked out for the best because
1: yeah, sure she did, did
2: have, a, you know, she did have a talented. That, that Patrick Leonard was her keyboard player mm-hmm. and wrote many of her songs with her, and he was—he's—he's he's a really talented musician. Different than Jellybean Benitez, rather, By the way, Bean is a DJ. so...
1: yeah. Okay. You know, yeah.
2: As far as I know, he's not a—he's not a musician. You know, he, as far he as I know.
1: Some stuff, or was it all Patrick Leonard?
2: Well, you don't you know, but there's producers and then there's producers. There's a producer who yeah. hires people to do stuff and and, and not okay. saying anything as well, with some fantastic producers, for instance, Arif Martin, uh-huh. who, that time who produced Imagine. I Feel yeah. For You and a million other things that you know, yeah. you know, from Martha yeah. Franklin. And he 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 didn't play particularly on his things, but he'd write string arrangements and things like that. And then there's DJ producers, and there's you know there's all different kinds of yeah,
1: people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, See, that's, but that's I'm, I'm, actually, I'm a all player. Know. Yeah. No, I'm a, yeah, player. You're
2: a player. I mean, I play I play classical music. Sure. Um, I, and I always have actually, you know, right. since I was a little kid. So I play classical and rock and jazz and okay. pop and every you know every single yeah, style. Everything. That's what I wanted to do. So
1: okay. Um, so yeah. let me ask you a couple questions about this, and these are things that I've been really curious about. They sort of tie together, but um, you know, you're obviously so into technology. Um, I, I assume you still are. I mean, that was, and we can't if we get into the into the depths of like what gear you used. I'm going to be completely lost because I'm not I'm not up on that's all okay. that. But I do. But I do know that that's your that's how your, that was your calling card, right? Is is having you know this this uh, ability to adapt to technology as it was coming out and make it sound really fresh. So I'm curious: right. if when you're writing music, are you hearing something? Are you hearing a melody in your head that you're trying to put across with whatever instruments or technology or whatever resources you have available to you, or are you tinkering with those things, whatever they are? those toys, and finding a melody within those toys. Uh, I'll give you an example. I think about an yeah. interview I remember David Bowie did once, and he was talking about his Ber- Berlin period, and he said, you know, we'd get these these keyboards, and we'd throw the inst- the instructions away, because we found the little crackles and farts, I think he called them, uh, more interesting than whatever you were actually meant to do with them. So I'm curious right. where you're, what motivates you, what's driving you when you're writing a song?
2: Well, You know what, it it really, I come from, I try to come from a lot of different directions. Um, You know, definitely when I would get, when I got the new technology, and every time I've gotten it over the years, I've gotten newer and newer technology, Mm -hmm. I always try to find like quirky things that it does. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Sort of like what, I guess, what David Bowie was describing. I'm not sure if David Bowie is more, is he a singer, is he a guitar player, is he a, is he a keyboard player? I don't even know. But right, in any right. case, I could just speaking for myself. Every time I would get a new piece of gear, and especially back then when I first started, well, not especially, but and including then,
4: mm-hmm.
2: I would I was trying to figure out like new things that you could do with this gear and what you could how you could make music. I knew I was I was mostly interested in you know rhythmic music. But even back then, I was playing I was playing in rock bands. You know, you wouldn't mm-hmm. call Madonna really. I was playing in a lot of sort of rock bands and R&B bands. Clear was an R&B, you know, was a R and b disco band almost, um, for instance. But I wasn't actually, by the way, I didn't, I was a sideman in Clear.
1: That's what and I thought. I yeah, you were man. like a touring, right. yeah, that's right.
2: Right, right. And then I ended right. up playing on their next album, but that doesn't even matter. By then I was okay. in the system and we were, we were going. Yeah, but... So I would say that one of the things that I would always look for is like different techniques that, that I could that I could figure out that would do something. So for instance, when Sequencers first came out, of course, the first thing was, you know, one of the first things that I realized is that you could quantize things um, uh-huh. and you could actually have repeated notes like happen, like, you know, you could actually make a uh-huh. kick drum play really fast or something like okay. that. So on so I would use, and, and then that ended up being like something that I did a number of times, like on the on the first System album, on the song "Sweat," mm-hmm. which was in 1982. Mm-hmm. There's a the, ba- the kick drum, the the bass drum pattern, it's like that, you know, it does that yep. really fast yep. thing. Never I, I used it I guess maybe a few other times on a couple other albums, but when I was doing when I did the track for when I was do trying to come up with a track later, you know, like when uh-huh. was it? Nine sixteen years later
1: uh-huh. I was going, Oh,
2: I'm gonna do that again and that ended up being Genie in a bottle. Genie in a
1: bottle, right? Yeah. Right. That's what I noticed okay. that. So Yeah.
2: Right. So what happens is that in the process, yes, in the process of like getting new equipment I would always try to like find things that were quirky and weird and something that appealed to me as being, you know, funky and cool, whatever it was. Okay. I mean I don't even you could use a million adjectives for sure, it. Sure, sure. But um but I was always trying to find and trying to find musical things. At the same time, my background in music has been a very, very strong background in classical music
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that and that's very varied from Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Chopin uh Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, all like harmonically, I know how all of I don't want to say I don't want to sound too big for my britches here. I know no, how a ahead. lot of that works. Sure, I know how works. it works. I know yeah. what the what makes it harmon what it makes it tick in terms sure. of chord progressions and, and voicings. And then I really, really studied all sorts of funk from Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. to a million things, even starting, actually, jazz. Even, like, Louis Armstrong in the 20s. I, like, really was strongly into jazz Gosh. in the 30s. Um, Art Tatum, Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins, Charlie Parker. I'm just trying to give some kind of, you know, Charlie Parker, yeah. whatever. Paul Gonzalez, Duke Ellington, into the into the into Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane. Yeah. Onward into the, you know, going onward to to, to Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, everything. Like yeah. I mean, I studied, I studied the music and understand harmonically, you know, and even to some extent can play. You know, I play jazz I'm
1: sure you fairly can. well. Yeah. You know, not like yeah. Herbie Hancock or Chick, but yeah. But I'm pretty sure you can play it well. That's kind of so a
2: so in terms. Of so so in terms of like what I would try to do is I would try to take the technology stuff and I was totally committed to doing synthesizer. I was very committed. I was thinking, I would always be thinking, I want to make the music of the future. I don't want to, I want to make music that do, doesn't have to have a drum set, doesn't even have to have a definable musical instrument as we know it. I'm going to dream up this, you know, I had this, it was sort of like a dream you know when you daydream when you're a little sure. kid and you're just dreaming yeah. about the stars or being an astronaut or something you know something yeah, that's what it was really. like for me. I would like never wear my watch there were no there was no phone in in the loft that I was in, and I just sit wow. there was a the stuff as well, you know from, wake up in the middle of the night, go down there and yeah. work on stuff and that's and I continued to do that basically um. Non stop, really, until about two years ago, which I'll tell you. Oh, but I'm still kind of really? well. I'm still I'm still working on it. You know, I'm still I'm still playing a lot of music. But in any case, all through that time, I would always be like always getting the latest techno tech. Yeah, the latest gear, whether yeah. it's drum machines or computer programs or so- or computer software, synthesizers, whatever it was, and yeah. trying to find the extreme. Things that they would do, right, or right. or the musically appealing things that they would do, sure. and blend them in and blend them in with 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 the musical harmonic elements that I love and that I discovered from figuring out how to do it. So don't disturb this groove. You know, I know you you really like don't disturb this groove, and
1: uh-huh.
2: that the the beauty of that song is. The core progressions are sort of it jazz-oriented, you could call yeah. them. You could say it's kind of jazz-oriented. At the time when I wrote it, I think that the that track was originally written in 1984. Oh, we really? didn't actually do it on an album until 1987. Yeah. I believe that the tape, the little cassette tape, I remember looking at it and going, yeah, it was like the very end of 1984, something like that.
1: So and it would not have been on your Experiment album? It would have maybe been no, on... No, Experiment...
2: Yeah, experiment was nineteen eighty. The end of nineteen eighty-three. We made it, but it was. Oh, but you're right. You're right. It was. Okay. It, it is possible that it was nineteen eighty-five, but I'm pretty sure that the actual okay. track of of the music of Dental Service Group. Uh-huh. So, my, in my mind, I know you asked me, and I've kind of wandered all over the place. And I, okay. I hope that it's okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. That so you said melody. Do you hear a uh-huh. melody, and then right. do you play around with that? Sometimes I hear a melody, and then I play. And then I work off of that, and it's a, and it becomes an inherent melody. And if you listen to a lot of the system tracks and a lot of the music that mm-hmm. I've done and other things, there's a lot of there's a lot of very melodic elements totally. um, in the instrumental track, which there is in any you know um, music you know that right. has a lead a lead instrument playing a melody, and then there's also counter melodies going on underneath sure so so sometimes i would think that way sometimes i would just start with a beat sometimes i would start with a quirky sound and it all all would just like and start from there sometimes from a chord progression a few chords that i'd hear from someone else's song and i go oh those are interesting chords but i I can't copy them exactly i'm going to like twist it around and do something a little bit like this and I go right. from there, and then I have to think of a bridge and I have to think of a chorus. And yeah. most of the songs, all the system songs, were almost exclusively tracks that I had that Mike Murphy would write a vocal melody and words to.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: That's how okay. that's how that's how all the system music was made. Now, after there were many times where he would do you know a song called I Don't Run from Danger?
4: we in the night, searching for my purpose, looking deep inside. I thought that I had lost it, but it was always found. Courage is the answer, it never lets you down.
2: On, um, I think it's on Pleasure Seekers. I okay. Think it's on the Pleasure Seekers album. Yeah. So, in any case, there's that song. The bass line goes dun 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 dun. dun. Right. The right. On an only highway, somewhere in the night. You know, and it's like, okay, yep. so it's, so he would he would Everywhere. copy. My, but I also, but I really basically have to say that Mike, when we did the system stuff, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at this. I'm going to ignore it. It's hard to ignore when the phone another phone rings. You're like, ah. Yeah. In any case, so that's okay. the way the system music was written. Okay. After that, when I moved, when I moved out to California and started to work, um, like I did a lot of work with Steve Kipner. Were we were we just going to speak just totally about the system? I can't remember.
1: Well, I want to. Uh, there's. I mean, I, we're going to start with that, and then I kind of want to know. I've, you've collaborated with a lot of people that I love and been on a right. lot of music that I've listened to. Right. And so I want to get into some of that, too. And I want to know what you do now, you know? So, oh, okay. Yeah, we can, we can... All right, and I want to tell you what I, I do now.
2: Yeah. Okay, well, well, in any case, that's the way the system music was. Okay. Later, okay.
1: you know, I did
2: start to... I, since I've been out, since when I moved to California in 1992, I started really co-writing with people and writing... Right. The um, you know, the melody and the words with them, but almost exclusively it would be a track that I had.
1: Okay, okay. So let me let me take you back a a second question, kind of on my first, based on what you're saying here, because um, one of sort of the the reputation that you had, especially for those first few albums in the '80s, was that you always kind of had your finger on the pulse, right? Here's right. Here's David Frank, and he's he's playing something that's you know futuristic, not futuristic in a sci-fi sense, but you're 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 yeah. moving, you're pushing the envelope, you're moving things along right. in a way. And I'm wondering if so, a couple things, a couple questions tied to that. Number one, are you aware that that's happening when you're doing it, or is that a label that's being applied to you after the fact? And then secondly, if you are aware of it, are you aware of it when it leaves you? When you're not doing it anymore. And I ask that because, and I hope this doesn't offend you, but Rhythm Romance is a good album, but to me, that album sounds like a lot of other stuff that's out
4: there. You are the fiercest girl I've ever seen. And when you all the things are happening. You're always cooking up some crazy things And someone else to do.
1: time new jack swing is sort of coming into vogue i don't i didn't hear the album when it came out but i maybe maybe you felt like even rhythm romance is still moving things along and it's still very progressive but i wondered if there's comes a time when you no longer have your finger on it and what do you do are you aware of it do you just keep going with your muse what do you do in that?
2: okay so the first part the first part of the question was Was I aware of it or was I trying to do that at the time? Yeah. Um, The answer is, I suppose, to that is it's a combination of things. First of all, yeah, I was trying to do something. I was really trying to show that I was like, I was trying to be like the best musician that I could be and also the most future thinking at the same Mm -hmm. time, stylistically, in pop music. Mm you know, in our rhythmic pop music. I was trying right. to do that. But I also just did it without thinking about that. Like I was just I was just sitting there sure. I was just sitting in a room by myself because I would write the tracks by myself pretty much. Not to say that Mike Mike Murphy didn't wasn't there, right. like you when know, <laughs> we did part of You're yeah. in My System, he was, but like the bass line and stuff to You're in My System, it was like something that I just was like, I just went, ah, yeah. ah, and I just played it and kind of went, oh, fuck, I'm not sure if that's good or not, I don't know, you know whatever, you know, so yeah. the thing is that, yes, I was, and I was going, I'm, I'm gonna like try to make this hi-hat part like no, like nothing's ever been played before, like no one's ever done before, I'm gonna try to make everything sound different I wanna like I said, I wanna do music that defies definition as real instruments and blah blah blah. And of course mm-hmm. you can listen to it now and you can go, Well yeah, but you were just like using a, a sample of a drum, you know, an eight bit sample of well, drum but
1: if you're the only well, one doing still, it that makes it progressive. But still right?
2: Well still it does I totally so so the answer to that is yes. I was I was conscious That I was doing something You know like when Do you know Angela Bofield Do you know the song um, Can't Slow Down Know that song? I know I you really did. Try. I don't
0: remember it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Can't slow down, but listen to the track. Now that I've mentioned it, go back and listen okay. to that track. I mean, I was really, I was like going, I'm going to like snip sequences into little one beat patterns, really? and then I'm going to put them together, and I'm going to, I'm going to be. I was trying everything that I that you could, everything that you could possibly do with that box. And remember, there was uh-huh. no
1: computer
2: it was sure. a microprocessor it was a computer in a way but it was right. a box like a and i was i was trying to do everything that you could possibly think of to do with music with with those boxes you know mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. and with keyboards but at the right. same time i was always try, i was thinking that one of the things that i missed from a lot of music and one of the things i think that you'd find that made our music special at that time was that there is a lot of influence from uh, there is a lot of harmonic progressions, chord progressions and things that people weren't using
1: Mm,
2: Um, that, that probably came from my background, whether, whether it's from, and, and, you know, not to say that they weren't using it. Maybe i just tried to, I was just trying to use it. I was just trying to do things that were original. I was trying to do that and I didn't want to copy. That's what
1: I mean.
2: Right. Yeah, you were. Well, I was, and I was, so, And when it came, and you are absolutely right. And then for so for sweat, um, experiment was like a little Uh, bit like went a little bit left, but it also had like really cool things in it.
1: I have Uh, to admit, I think experiment is your best album. Start to okay, that's my favorite. Fantastic. Yeah. So
2: so see so so this so you know sweat experiment pleasure seekers don't disturb this groove. Then rhythm and romance, and rhythm and romance. Absolutely, we were trying to. We were going. Mike was going. You know, was saying New Jack Swing is big. Yeah, let's try yeah. to integrate some of this in there. And I was like, Yeah, I can do that. I can even make sure. it better. I'm going to make New Jack Swing even better. Thinking I was right. such a big shot, but the right. fact is that yeah, you can. I lost. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Believe me. Yeah, I sat there okay. for like a year and a half. When we took that, we took longer on that album than any other album. We had just gotten our own studio which was sure. a mistake uh, or at that time you know it was a mistake really? for us because well because it was because you got to remember back then having a studio was having a an SSL console and two 24 track mm-hmm. machines and it was a really expensive endeavor it's not like well, now where you have a computer and you have a room
4: you? well yeah, have, you think. I guess
1: you already probably you had think. your own playground set up I, in your apartment I did. or whatever right exactly you didn't need to pay exactly. the rent and on another playground is.
2: That's exactly it, and I didn't okay. have tape machines, so that when I went in the studio, I had to put everything that I had programmed. I would program all the stuff without without tape machines. I would have it all running by sequencers, which is what everybody does now. You don't even do it now. You never actually put – well, actually, sometimes you record it all on Pro Tools or something, but what I'm saying is that all of the music was programmed You know, you'd play it. You know, Mm -hmm. you understand that you still have to play it with your fingers, or at least I did, other people just draw in notes. A lot of the EDM artists and stuff, they don't play at all. They just draw notes, which is why a lot of the chord progressions are just like so simple sometimes. You just go on someone, do something a little bit more elaborate. In any case, I digress. You're absolutely (laughs) right about Rhythm and Romance, okay? okay? Rhythm and Romance... And I'm I'm glad you're hearing it exactly right. You, Rhythm and Romance was m- very much of it. Some of it is not like that. Uh, there's a song called no. "Don't I Don't Know How to Say Goodbye." say goodbye that's not really new jack but like wicked you know that's right. a that's a that's like a new jack swing ripoff i mean sure. i tried to do cool things on it and there are some sure. cool moments on it i still totally. think i still like i still like to listen to it but it was not like true like just yeah system it's, it's i don't know
1: you know what I'm saying? It was slightly derivative. The it was. Leader. Yeah, you're not the leader anymore. You're kind of more of a follower. I mean, I, that's right. I, I hope this doesn't bother you. I love you. So even the stuff that's your lesser stuff, I still like, and I still would, you know, prefer to some other things. But yep. it was clear to me yep. that that there's an artistic drop-off slightly between Don't Disturb This Groove and Rhythm, rhythm Romance. That's where, okay, that's where the I'm
2: leadership t- is you Yeah. Yep, and, and it had to do a lot with getting our own studio. Before oh, that, we did not have our own studio. And
4: okay. then,
2: and, and what, when we got our own studio, because the headache of, like, paying the rent and making, and then and yeah. there's no air conditioning system and all those, like, practical stupid matters which we never even thought of, all of a sudden, when you have, like, an s s l and two tape machines in a room it turns in it's like hundred and fifty degrees in there unless you have an air conditioning system and then you have to like come up with twenty five thousand dollars to have it yeah. so those little practical things those have been those were the downfall of a lot of musicians in those yeah. days yeah you know Peter Gabriel might have kept making better music if he had done if he had never like built his whatever his dream studio because yeah it's like anyway in any yeah. case. You're absolutely right. Okay. Rhythm and romance was derivative. I was listening to to Teddy Riley. I was jealous. I was like going, Fucking
1: Teddy Riley. Yeah. Ah. He's <laughs> like everybody
2: thinks he's king now. He doesn't really play
1: that well. I play right. better than
2: him. Ah I gotta try to figure <laughs> out how to I was. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that that was like look, I was at a different period in my life, you know. Sure. Um and Okay. You hit it. You hit the nail right on the head. Well, that's good.
1: Well, <laughs> thank sure. you. So, when do you, um, you know, to piggyback on that, then, when do you start feeling like you get it back? Is it because you know, obviously, then the system goes on, gets pressed pause, right? And I, is, right. I assume, I don't know for sure, but I assume it's because you feel like why continue as a der- derivation of our original, you know, idea no, that was so fresh. True. No, Nope, that's not why. The reason oh, why okay. the system went on pause
2: is because the record company asked Mike Murphy to do a solo album.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Why? And Mike told all, me... You're and a, I mean, so, no offense to you, but no one's looking at you. I mean, Mike's the enigmatic front man. You know what I mean? He's already practically yeah, a solo artist. Not, not, you know what I'm I, saying? Visually a solo artist.
2: Because Because at the time... It's Atlantic Records. They're they're thinking about they're they're just thinking about the bottom line, and they're oh. going okay. We can have him do a solo album, and and uh, and then maybe we'll do another System album afterward. But that oh. was absolutely devastating to me. I, I was, believe like, it completely. I was so bummed out about that.
4: Yeah. Well, I what
2: you know. Well, so you know, but I mean, I recovered, and I you know, I took sure. Like, you know, we, well,
1: of course you did. But you were collaborating. Well, my point was but, that you're collaborating with a million people around this time, and and I was. Do you start finding more re- kind of satisfaction from that than you are like trying to put out the next system album?
2: Well, you know, I was collaborating with a lot of people even during the system thing. You know, I yeah, go and true. I did, you know, I did Susudio. I did the whole arrangement for Susudio and oh, I other things. Oh, on I had. Phil that. Phil Collins' album, and I was doing. I was always doing work with the Reef Martin, like on "I Feel mm-hmm. for You" and stuff, and um, uh, uh, and and lots of other and Steve Winwood. You know, I did those. Yes. those. Ones. Oh, I know. Oh, the big pro- I've got a whole list project. here of
1: people I'm going to ask okay, you about. Okay, so here the
2: big project. Bit, yes. Yep. You know, um, but but yeah, that's what what happened was that Mike did that solo album, and then he and then he did that, and we kind of broke up the band for that time, and I was like kind of pissed off at him, you sure. know, I and and I just and I, um, then Prince asked me to go and work on a movie. On he had a whole bunch of songs that he had written, and he wanted me to do the pre records for it was for a movie. Really? That's when I moved to California. So yeah, well, I don't want to interrupt your flow of questioning. So no, this
1: is this is the fascinating stuff. I mean, are we talking Graffiti Bridge? Were you involved somehow? No, in... no,
2: no, 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 not at all. No, it was a song called, I mean, a uh, a movie called um, I'll Do Anything that ended up not having any music on it. Oh. And it was like a, it was sort of a metamorph. Oh James yeah, yeah.
1: Works. That's the James L. Brooks movie that he made with Nick Nolte. It was right. right, and he was he filmed it as a musical, and then it that's right tested poorly, so they cut out all the musical uh, yep, parts right. of it, and then it became this movie that doesn't even fit together very well. You it were involved no, in that? No, it's no good. Yep, <laughs> because Prince, Prince, it was purely because Prince called me and got it.
2: You know, Prince. I was like, you know, of course, was, Prince. Really happy to be working with Prince, and I sure. Yeah, by the way, i had done lots of remixes, like with with a guy out here named Keith Cohen who used to work for Prince doing remixes like daily for like five years or something. And I used to, so, so Prince, anyway, he asked me to do these things and I started to, I did the demos in New York and then they moved me out here to continue working on the film. And I worked and it was like a whole nother life, Mm -hmm. you know, to come out here. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the entire thing was like a whole kind of like unreal in a way. There was like, they yeah. had a hundred dancers. It was like a big, it was a cast of thousands, so to yeah. speak, you know?
1: Right. I and, heard of and, it.
2: And, um, and it was a totally mind blowing experience. And I, especially since it didn't seem like they really cared whether the music sounded good to me because mm. I had great demo singers do the songs in New York and they went fantastic. you do We want you to do the gigs and I, and I came out here, and then they'd go. And now Nick Nolte has to sing that song, and I and he's tone deaf. He's freaking tone deaf. So you couldn't. You know and what I mean? It was like that. Yeah, Albert, Albert Brooks, Brooks is, in that is that not movie. tone. No, Albert Brooks is the only, the one musical number. Or there were a couple of musical numbers that were that ended up being good, but the one that was the really the best was Albert Brooks because that guy he can sing for really of wow he can sing a little you know a little. Okay, good I mean, enough, right to pass he's it a comedy okay. he's a comedy singer i mean he's sure. funny and and he was so that was the one thing and there were anyway it was a good experience in a lot of ways fascinating so,
1: okay but in wow. the end
2: in the end Hans zimmer took over and redid all the mm. songs with the actors or something
1: and then okay. they took
2: all the music out. Oh, and then Don was worked on it. Oh, they, everybody, everybody worked on it. Yeah. And then they took all the music out. And so, so <laughs> it anyway, still that was flopped. the reason. Jeez. And it still flopped. So it was like yeah. you know, yeah, it was a weakness. There was forgetting. a weakness. Let me tell you something. There was a weakness in the in the book and I didn't I didn't know anything about that kind of stuff at that time, but sure. I know a little more now. The problem was there's a script, the story was good and appealing and Jim Brooks by the way is the most talented director uh, except for the fact him. that he also yeah. I have a feeling is tone deaf but besides uh, that emotionally like t- getting uh-huh. emotional value out out of actors sure, he sure. had me in tears he had me come to the set so I would see the scene that uh, the song was going to follow or something and he had everybody in tears because of his emotional believe it. Um, his um, you know his yeah. the, uh, the things that he would say to try to Drives the it. emotion of the actors in the scenes. I mean, he was yeah. uh, absolutely brilliant, except for it. that he was tone deaf. Yeah.
1: Twilight yeah. Thorpe,
2: by the way, was the dance was the th- th- choreographer choreographer. talking really? you know, About dance. She's,
1: I do. Yeah. yeah. And
2: she, God. yeah, and that was a wonderful experience working with her. In the meantime, wow. the script would just say, you know, we would have a great this great story part, and then it would say, Tori sings a song. Uh. You know, yeah. and it, so that it didn't continue. This it didn't advance the story. Sure. You know, the, sure. In a musical, the the songs advance the story. And right. It didn't. So anyway, okay. It's all water under the bridge. There you go.
1: Okay, so that's uh, why. That's why. That's why okay. I ended
2: up moving to California.
1: Right now, I would imagine being there um, and being more of a producer. Maybe you know the produ- We were talking about all different kinds of producers. You're probably right. in a really sweet spot for you. Do things kind of open up more for you when you move to California? Or are you getting attached to more jobs? Are people kind of okay. beating down your door, so wanting first, you to get involved? First of
2: all, here's the thing, though, John. I moved to California in
4: 1992.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so that's right. not, yeah. not like okay. So yeah. I moved here in 1992. It True. took a it took a few years to get established again. At first, yeah. I was trying to do film music, and then I got a chance to work with it, and I I was just on the verge of doing it. I've had a couple of epiphanies, a couple of life experiences, which are like, not epiphanies, that's word, when once I I had a motorcycle, I broke my, I was in a motorcycle accident, and I broke the bone in my hand when I was 18, Uh and I realized I wanted to, and I looked at my hand, and I saw my knuckle, like, down, like, near my wrist, Uh and I thought, I'm going to be a musician for the rest of my life now. I'm I'm going to, like, I don't only want to play the piano. It's like, what is it called? Is it called an epiphany? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: One of those moments sure. where I just went, that's what I, and like I literally left. Yeah. Yep. I left Boston University the next day and applied to Berklee College of Music and became a musician. Well, I had another one of those when I was living out here, and I got a call from a director. Uh, his name was Uli Oh, I've forgotten his name, but it was uh, uh
1: Bull, he, right? He's a German guy. German, and he like, Ger- yeah,
2: yeah. Uli Edel, or no? Uli, what's his last? He,
1: he he
2: actually did like Last Stop in Brooklyn, some weird movie. Oh, you know, different that. guy
1: than I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. Okay,
2: and he and he also and he was doing a, a documentary, believe it or not, on um, uh, what's the most famous boxer? Uh,
1: well, Tyson, uh, Muhammad Ali. Tyson,
2: Tyson. yeah, Ray Tyson. Robinson. Uh, okay. Tyson, Tyson. No, Tyson. Okay, so he's doing a – not a documentary. It's it's sort of his life story. So he had me do um, cues for the movie. Uh, Somehow a friend of mine, who who Mike and I had produced, got me this opportunity to maybe score this movie. So I did some cues. He liked them. But then the head of the uh, film company, which I think was HBO at the time, because it was an HBO film. Uh, said, I want Stuart Copeland to score the oh. thing. So Stuart scored it. So then um, a couple months later, and I was really disappointed, a couple months later, sure. the director calls me and he says, David, I hate Stuart's score. I want you to rescore the movie. Whoa. I loved your cues. I want you to rescore the movie. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then my yeah. phone went Beep. And it was my manager on the other line saying I had an opportunity to work with this great, British British neo soul artist named Omar. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard of Omar.
1: I've and, heard of. And I, yeah.
2: And I really wanted to work with Omar because I really loved his music. And I had that like right at that moment. I had to go. Do I really want to do film music or do I want to continue on with pop music? Sure. And doing and I went. You know what? Music to a film is always secondary. True. I don't. I'm not going to do. That. I'm going to go with the pop music. So. Wow.
1: That's it, right? Oh my god! Another
2: epiphanous moment. Yes,
1: yes. Well, and luckily, so again, not to get too into the money aspect or anything like that, but I so so if you move out there in 92 and genie in a bottle, which I'm going to assume is your biggest financial success, right? That's your biggest financial success. That comes along in 99. You've got a seven-year period there where it sounds like there's a lot of bumps in the road. Some things that don't work out, some things that almost work out, but are you sustaining right. yourself uh through these kinds of jobs like producing Omar or doing some movie work or whatever? what are you doing from ninety two to ninety nine to, to keep yourself sort of solvent and uh you know out there on the radar Collaboration oh, well, with you know, i did, i ended up i ended up doing uh i ended up doing two
2: albums with Omar.
3: Came as used to me when she said she had to go I know I should feel bad, all my friends tell me so Hell, if it's me, then tell me so I'll try to change But I'm so complicated now, it's hard to rearrange She won't know, but I miss her so Ask my heart, and he will tell you so All this time we've been through thick and thin again. Don't want a broken heart all over again And that's why I'm still standing Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm still standing, demanding What's good for me, yeah, yeah I'm still standing
2: Two different albums uh for pleasure and uh uh this is not a love song and they were they were really big successes but they made but they but they actually are are still people like them you know he has a sure. career you know he he, has yeah. a, he still has a career going and um they, so they were they actually sustained us through the, not okay. just those because i was doing a lot of other things i was working with richard perry Um, I did the uh, you know for instance. I'm just thinking of things, thinking back. Horn arrangements for Michael McDonald's album that he had in '93 or
1: '94. Um, you know, working with Russ
2: Titelman.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the Michael. Oh, I love Michael McDonald. I'm trying to remember the name of the album. Yeah. There
2: was that album, like in the in the mid '90s, that Russ Titelman. I can hear all the songs in my head, but right. I can um, I think
1: it has um, little kids on the. I don't remember the name.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. And um, yeah, so 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 I'm doing various, you know, doing session work okay. out here. Lots of uh-huh. session work. Um, producing, you know, not not having like gigantic success, but I produced a number of different acts, and right. um, also songwriting. Really, really getting into the getting into doing songwriting yeah. and collaborating with different artists in um you know in in the l a area and slowly but okay. surely, so the first couple of years were were tough like ninety three yeah. and ninety ninety three and ninety four were kind of tough but when I think of it now it 's not as tough as i you know because
4: mm-hmm.
2: there's even less money you know back then there was money. Sure. From albums, there was kind of a slush right. fund of money in the record companies, and they were trying to develop artists. You know, now it's like yeah. for most people, there's hardly any money. It's much smaller sure. amounts. You know, let's put yeah,
1: it that way. yeah. So when any you say case, all these little jobs you're picking up, I'm imagining you're being paid they for weren't all these that things. little. Well, no, yeah. I know, but I'm I'm talking about like kind of one-offs, right? Um, yeah, you know, a more one-offs. Or, and no, I'm trying to think of what call? they
2: what they were. I'm trying to think about Oh, also Mike and I made an, an album on Avex, a system album called um ESG.
4: Yeah. yeah. At the night on fire so paid. so
2: we so we made esp so so we got some money we got you know we got paid for doing
1: that that's what I mean. Um, it's like an, so, a, 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 a labels aren't necessarily going to pay people that much money to put out an album right now, or to right hire now. someone but to come, then, Right, right. Back then, there was still money that, in the system enough. You know, the music. That's system, that's industry right. Industry to pay the music system. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so I did. So it was
2: not. It wasn't hard. And also, my wife is a physical therapist. or was a physical therapist.
1: Oh, she interesting. Away, okay. So. Your wife so, passed away. Um, oh no. So, Sorry.
2: And she was, she was working, um, yeah, I think she was working during that time. Yeah, she probably okay. was. So, okay. so that was, so, so we, you know, we, we, lived, yeah. we lived, home you know, fairly right. well, medium, okay. you know, yeah medium well. Yeah, and, um, you can pay your bills. Okay. Yeah, I could pay my bills and I had,
1: you know, I had gigs.
2: I mean, I would also, oh, sure. oh, I did Wild Orchid. Okay. i Uh, yeah. With Ron Fair, I did. That's one. I'm just the the jobs are coming back to me now. Wild right. Orchid. Um, I worked on that for like a year with Ron Fair. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Um, and 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 other ones too, which I can't I can't recall. I have to look. I need to look through CDs. <laughs> so I, I know I'm on your were.
1: website. There's a there's okay. a ton of them. There's you probably
2: them. you probably know what they were, but so so yeah. So and that definitely sustained me. But then when. Yeah. Then I started to work with Steve Kipner,
1: and that's the, um, that's the guy that brought you in the genie in a bottle, right? Well, no, he didn't. He didn't bring. Actually, I brought
2: him into that because oh. because that's really Ron Fair was the was yeah. the A&R guy for right. for her. Okay, um, but Steve Steve lives in Topanga. I live in Topanga Canyon in, okay. in California, and Steve lived here then too for many years, and he and he. I, we just started to work together because I was with EMI Publishing, and so was he, right. and they played him something of mine, and he was like, oh, I really want to work with David Frank. And then we even knew each other a little bit before then, and oh, then we started to write. And we had a hit with a French artist uh, called Into My Privacy. I'm trying to remember the name of the artist. Um, <laughs> she's I don't You know, that might not even be on my list of things there. I don't even know. I have so many. We had yeah. and It was a hit in France. And then okay. we had then then we had a big hit with 98 degrees called the hardest yeah. thing hardest thing right and that and so that Steve and I and then I was really grateful just because Steve really brought me in on that you yeah, know and I, I mean it. I had the track and everything you know but I mean yeah. he he had already had a a song with them before uh, right that was kind of a hit um, okay and so. That's when I started to work with Steve. That was the first big hit that we had. It was the hardest thing, and then we had Genie in a Bottle, which. And are you
1: just noticing? Right. I mean, I would imagine you still make a good living off Genie in a Bottle. I mean, are you noticing your? What's that like when your fortunes start to change like that? I mean, how are you feeling? Is it it a
2: it was a really great feeling. Come on. that's. I mean, that's. You I know, believe like, it. Listen, most of, of most of my life, you got to realize that most of my life is spent writing music or practicing the piano, wishing I was better at uh-huh. classical or jazz or whatever, and kind of like, but then knowing that I have, and then, you know, trying to have hits, all sorts of things. I mean, I'm not really thinking yeah. about money that much, sure. but when it actually happens that you do well and, like Mike and I did really well through all those years in the eighties, you know, where we uh-huh. were, where we were, produ- you know, we were producing Ashford and Simpson, you know, all those things. Of course. Yeah, them, you know, sure. I know. Did, I'm going to ask you um, all about
1: it here in a minute.
2: Um, but, but yeah, so so okay, it was kind of like the second time around for me, where I where I had yeah. done, but I had, but I never, we never really like spent uh, frivolously. We didn't, you know, so we were no, not really, did. we, right. you know. So we had, we had saved our money and we you know we had a house even from that first period, uh, uh-huh. but I also enjoyed it. You know, yeah. I enjoyed having sure. you know having financial success through it. And then the second time it was was even better. You know, in a way yeah. because I really yeah. knew to be to be careful about it, and then also to try to make as much as I could uh-huh. while it was happening. I really right. knew that the second time, you know. So I was really lucky in a way that I had a second time where sure, I could. And so are. all through that time, as soon as we had Genie in a bottle, I really char- made sure that we charged a lot of money when yeah. we've had when we'd have a hit, and I mean when we had a, a, a song that I thought was worth a lot of money.
1: Right, I right.
2: I really made sure that we did and that we charged enough. Yeah. We had Dream too. Dream, uh, he loves me, loves yeah. you not, which was like a really big hit for us also. So,
1: yeah, and had, okay. You know,
2: a whole lot of other stuff too.
1: Good. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, you're obviously a um a strong enough artist independently that I don't doubt that you would have maintained a career in some form or another doing what you're good at for the rest of your life. But it's it's not as someone who cares about you, I want I'm so glad that you got rewarded in a way for all that hard work and for your Right. for your genius financially in some form. You deserve that, you know? So I'm really glad that you've had all these successes because that's absolutely what you deserve. I, I'm saying I love the music that you put out that's yours, that's the system, right. and I'm really grateful that you're become. you you're compensated on top of that for all these other. I mean, I'm not a, that big of a Christina Aguilera fan, but I know right. the, the weight... Of having a hit song with her, I know what that means. So I'm really happy you're right. the guy that gets the benefit from that because you're an right, artist right. I care about. You know? Yeah. So, you okay, know, Christina,
2: so, yeah. Well, so I was tell just me why. Oh, on
1: Please, yeah, go ahead. Just let
2: me say something about Christina. Christina Aguilera is like she she is actually an incredible singer. Totally. she's incredible yeah. and I wish I kind of wish and I know I don't even want to say it's not like I want to say anything negative about her Sure. she just in a way she could have been i the way I picture like Barbara Streisand yeah. she's
4: she's real I
2: mean Christina's really great
4: yeah. and but
2: she kind of like was so oriented towards having success more than
1: being yeah. an
2: artist in a way or something so that she did all these I don't know she's wish she had, you know, listen, Beautiful was great. It's not as if she hasn't had her share of success, but in a way, I mean, because she can sing
1: standards and everything totally. like so
2: well, yeah. you know, she's just yeah. really a great singer. And uh, But anyway, that's what I wanted to
1: say. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, she she clearly is an amazing vocalist, and you yeah. wonder, and she's super sexy and attractive, right? So put the two together, mm-hmm. and you've got this, you know, this package, but is that the best Use for talent. I don't know. And yeah, that's, she, that's she didn't quite. I, I, stars, I, I hope. Right? you
2: know what? She could still do it. She could still. Yeah, she could. If she like put her mind to it and went. Wait a minute. I want to just. I don't want to just like have everybody think I'm great. I want to actually yeah. put so, out some recordings that 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 you know and sing beautifully and have. You know, I don't know. It yeah. just seems like her her her, her her her. She's trying so hard to have a hit that yeah. sometimes she. Anyway. No. Totally agree. Okay, enough of totally that. Totally agree. But I definitely, yeah. we definitely were very grateful that she did genie in a okay. bottle and yeah, and it worked and it got her it's career great. off the ground and worked. Can't and Changed yeah.
1: your life. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so I want to let's jump to before we. I I want to get into your collaborations and we can we can do that rapid fire if you want. But I want to know what do you do now? Uh, you're I believe uh, if according to Martin who I interviewed a few weeks ago, um, right. You uh, you have a publishing deal with Universal Music. You write songs for people. What is your job title? And what do you do when you, like every day when you wake up, what's a typical day in the life <laughs> of David Frank? All right. I'm right. I'm I'm still,
2: I, I have to say that I'm still kind of like recuperating from my, you know, my wife got cancer and passed yeah. away a couple of years ago. And yeah. I'm still kind of recuperating from that. So I've been, okay. you know, one of the things that I've done, I'm I'm just getting, I'm just getting back into like you know, writing with people and, and cause I, I just, when that happened to me, sure. I just like could not, I mean, when it happened to her, but it happened to me too, you know, and, and my kids, like everybody, you know, it's, it's just, it just was a really hard, a very, very hard few years, like, you know, yeah. living through her having cancer and then also, you know, since then it kind of like knocked the I don't say knocked the wind out of my it made me question, you know, the meaning of like, you know, pursuing success all the time. I wanna you know, and and also I'm just in grief, you know, about yeah. it. So in the meantime, I've been I've been actually really like trying to become like almost a semi concert pianist. And I don't mean by having a oh, career. I'm like yeah. practicing classical piano like learning very complex pieces like Chopin's Polonaise and A-flat and all sorts of really um, concert pianist-level pieces. At the same time, I managed to do... You know, Mike McDonald called me up. I did the horn arrangements for his new album, which I hope comes out soon. Very cool. Um, and I've gotten many, many calls to work, and I haven't. I haven't actually... I didn't want to... I didn't want the the sort of stress of like writing songs and wondering whether anybody was going to do them. I just couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't really, and I have enough um, assets that I don't have to, you know, that I don't have to really worry about that. Um, I'm not wildly uh, wealthy or anything like that at all, but I, but I have enough, so I don't have to worry.
1: So, that's great I
2: get up and I work on music and I'm just starting to really get back into into uh, into programming and you know and and writing tracks and things like that and okay. so okay. you know that you know that we did another system album like oh I know while my awesome. wife was sick we did we did that album and there's some good things on there I think
4: did you step right out of my dreams I get into my head. Did you sneak inside my fantasy? I've been looking for you there. That was good. I think that's
1: a true return to form for you guys after E.S.P. and Rhythm Romance. That's the sound. yeah. I this think that I sound. think that our next
2: one. I think our next one will be better because it was a, again, really? It was a little bit. Well, because I have a, I think I have a much clearer picture. I was still like you know constantly yeah. like you know, thinking. Gotta sound modern. Gotta sound news, Gotta yeah. sound blah blah. blah. Now I don't really give a shit to tell you the truth yeah' you know, true like yeah you
1: can't. i just want
2: i just want i just want it to be to be great and it could be it could be as like a throwback to early system as whatever comes out of yeah. us I'm not sure whatever what it will want. be you know yeah. and i and i and I feel good about that, so you know basically i've been uh, you know working on music. Every day, probably, like, you know. Okay. But sometimes I'll, like, practice piano for, like, four or five hours a day. Okay. Or do you have a boss? You know, just.
1: Do you have a boss? I have no boss. You're not. I have no boss. No one to report to. You You can do what you want every day. Every day. Great.
2: So, so I still, you know, I have a great studio here. Also, you know, my son, you should check out my son, Griffith, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H, Griffith, Frank. He's like a great, he's a great singer. Check him out. Griffith Frank. Okay. The song, you can, the song that came out, he was on Geffen Records, actually, for a while. um, But he's also, he's an incredible semi-classical singer. Check him out. Griffith Frank, Unusual Way. There's a song called Unusual Way.
4: In a very One time I needed you In a very unusual way You were my friend Maybe it lasted a day Maybe it lasted an hour But somehow it will never end. In a very unusual way, I think I'm in love with you. In a very unusual way, I want to
2: go. But you could, you know, and you'll come, that's on vivo. But then there's okay. other things you can listen to him. He's really, he's really, really a great singer and having awesome success that's great. with that. So, anyway, yeah. So um, very cool. But I'm okay. No, I. That's call your own shot.
1: Okay, great. I call good. It. Well, that's good. You've earned it.
0: There you have it, David Frank. <laughs> it's interesting to get to know the mind and personality of these rapidly creative people, don't you think? I just, I find it interesting. You listen to, I mean, he's this, like I've said, a professorial white guy, regular looking guy. And he's one of the most amazing minds in R&B. And that's him. That's the, that's him. It's just so fascinating to get to know some of these people. I hope you like the music in there. There's a ton of music in this one across a lot of genres. Huge thanks to Jan Mokiewicz for producing this one. There was a lot of stuff to do. I'm grateful for him and all of his hard work. Find us on iTunes. Write us a review. Please write us a review. Tell your friends. Subscribe to the podcast. If you like this story, you'll like other stories. Go back into the archives. Find somebody that you think is interesting that you would like to know more about. And if you like the structure of these interviews, then listen to all of them. They're really good. Find us on Facebook. You can like our page and stay in communication with us that way. You can subscribe to the Hustle Podcast playlist on YouTube where I update periodically with videos of our guests you can email me at the pod at gmail.com and you can find us at twitter at the pod. all right thanks everybody for listening